Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. I'm going to talk today about giving. And uh, if you're a guest here, you're maybe your first time here at City Life or you're, you know, you're, you're checking us out, uh, you, you know, you can relax. This is more of a family conversation, so you get to just kind of listen in. You know what that's like when you get to listen in when dad is talking to the family and you're like a guest in the other room and it's just like, ooh. And, uh, you know, we just finished our series on worship, which I thought I was finishing today, but I'm not finishing today. It's already finished, but we're still going to talk about worship to a certain degree because when it, comes to, when it comes to our worship, our worship is not one thing. Worship is not one part of our life. It's not, um, you know, something we do on a Sunday morning. It's a, it's a whole it's a whole body, spirit, and soul thing. It's a whole person thing. And, you know, when we, we talk about, if you were to ask, well, what's worship? Lots of people would say, well, it's music. It's singing. It's the part of service where we raise our hands or we, or we you know, bow or kneel or, or even pray. But oftentimes that's where it, it kind of, that's where it disconnects from the rest, and when we talk about giving, many of us would not give, consider giving as, as, as a part of worship. Giving's a different part. They have a break. The lights change. The fog shuts off. It's giving is a different part of the service. But in the, it, 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 when we go to scripture, what we we actually find is that the giving of offerings is a consistent theme through both Old and New Testaments as an expression of worship. And and. Uh, it's it's there's so much to say about this subject, but I want to I want to encourage us and a lot of what I'm going to say today. Many of you've heard it, many of you have heard me say it, but like so many things, we need to be reminded. Like so many things, just wives, just you can nudge your husbands right now and say you need to be reminded of a lot, a lot. <laughs> you know, toilet seat number one. It's funny. It's one time that I got in a habit of not putting the seat down in our home. And Monica just looks me straight in the eye. And it's just like, is this habit going to continue? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Message received. <laughs> okay. So now I put all the seats down with duct tape. Uh, why talk about money in church? Why would, why would we, would, shouldn't we just talk about love? Like, love is, love's safe. Like, who's going to say, well, we just need to love each other. Who's going to argue with that? There's nothing to argue with, with that, unless you're like a tyrant. Let's just, talk, let's just stick with love. And I will say this, love is number one. People are the only true treasure that matters. When it, comes to, when it comes to giving, the reason giving is important is because giving is a large part of that which enables the church to actually meet the needs of people, to reach people, to be able to help people. 
And, uh, you know, when you come to church, you, you actually expect that somebody has actually given to make your experience here better. You expect that even when you come for the, you maybe come for the first time or you bring your kids for the first time, you, you actually come expecting somebody has invested already on behalf of your children so that when they go to, when they go to their class, we're not just taking your little, you know, your little baby or to your little toddler and we're, we're not just like sticking them on a shelf in a closet saying they'll be here for you when you get out. You know, you expect that we have bought toys. You expect that we, we have prepared a room. Hopefully that room's enjoyable for, the, the, for their experience. When you send your kids on, uh, you know, you send them to, to CLY on a Wednesday night, you expect somebody to have spent some money to make that experience good for your teenagers. And... Here's, I like numbers, so I'm a numbers guy. And so I, every once in a while, figure out, what does it actually cost us to do church per bum? <laughs> per bum. Per bum on a seat. And years ago I did it, it was like $14. $14 per bum. Anybody want to guess what it costs per bum on a seat on a Sunday morning to do church for you? Well, that, that's high, but yeah. No, no, it's not 50. That's really close. It's $31.46 per bum. Some of you are thinking, fine, I just won't sit. Like, it's... Uh, <laughs> I can stand. And this is a really rough calculation because, you know, it's not quite that easy. So a fam family of four comes to church for the very first time. There was already $125.84 invested by somebody on their behalf so that they could have an experience or so that there would be something there for them of value. And I, I appreciate that, that people have done that, that people consider what happens is important enough that I'm, I'm going to help make that happen. But I also want to talk about finances because money plays a vital role in the quality of life. And the way we handle money is very important to the overall quality of our lived experience. And if you've ever had the experience of spending more than you have, you know, they give you that credit card when you're in, in college. Okay, you're, you're a student without a job. We're gonna give you credit. And so most of us learn our first terrible spending experience in college because we have no way to pay that card. It's just magic. I want the jeans. I give them the card. I have the jeans. It's magical. And it's only magic for about 24 hours. And then after that, after I should say, it's magical for about 30 days. And then the statement comes. <laughs> and then, if you were like me, you, you remember getting that first statement and thinking, did I really spend that much? And then it happens again. 
And then pretty soon you realize that credit card has the potential to destroy my life. Like that, that credit card. And then you start seeing the interest payments because you don't have a job. You're a student. And you start seeing the interest payments on your credit card. And then you think, like, it's going to take me 500 years to pay this thing off. Money plays a vital role in making good things happen in life. I have said this before. I've taken this from another, another preacher who said this. But what, what, would you, what would you call a father who says, I love my children, but I don't support them financially? I love my kids, but unless I see a really great need in their life or feel led, I don't, I don't give them any financial support. They'll do okay on their own. We have names for fathers like that, don't we? They're not, most of them aren't very polite. But what would you call a Christian who says, I love my church, but I don't give regularly? I don't have any kind of financial plan or strategy. If I feel the need is great enough, then I'll give something if I feel led. And you would call them average because that's what the average Christian in North America does. There's not a plan. And I'm not saying this to, to heavy us out. I'm not saying this to say that you need to give more, do more. But I do want to say we need to recognize patterns in us. That I've, I've noticed, especially in the last three years, I, I had noticed this personally. Then I actually heard someone who studies church, church statistics in the last couple of weeks say the, the trend is true. It used to be that 30% of the church gave 80% of the money. They're saying that's down now to about 10% of the church. Gives about 80% of the money to the church. And it's not rich people. And it's, 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 and it's this trend. And it's not, it, it shows up in church because church is an organization like we don't, it's like we don't have stocks and bonds and investments to gather in income. We, we really do rely on generosity. And we are living in a world where generosity is shrinking, where people are giving less and less where there's more and more, um, and I would just say there's more and more fear. And so what fear does is fear causes us to like close our life in. Excuse me, and spit. Uh, (laughs) Fear causes us to withdraw into ourselves. And collectively as a society, and, and there's a lot, like we could go into many reasons for it, but the last few years have all kind of caused us to protect ourselves a little bit more, and that's how it, it's showing up. And, um, you know, what, what stops us from being generous or what stops us from giving? Well, I think one of the main things that stops us is if we find our primary security and hope in that which we possess, we'll find it very difficult to give away that which we have. If we find our security and our hope in our possessions or our bank accounts or that balance then to give that away is actually giving away our security or giving away our hope because we trust it. And if our sole ambition is to gain wealth, as we gain wealth, our hands begin to close around that wealth because that's where our hope is. So we have to, we have to, be, we have to ask ourselves the question, where, where am I going to find my hope? Now, at the end of our life... We won't care. You won't care what your bank account is as you're getting ready to enter eternity. 
you're going to be putting all of your hope in God. But my, my challenge is to say, well, why don't we build a life where our hope is built on God our entire life? Why don't we build a, hope, why don't we build a life where we keep riches in the perspective of the riches are nothing compared to the one who richly provides for our life? And keeping our hope in God, it keeps our perspective healthy towards eternity. So First Timothy, it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. By the way, um, you know, a lot, of t- a lot of us tend to discount ourselves as soon as we hear that. Let those who are rich in this age, and we just think, oh, I'm not rich. But it's like, if you, if you own a car, you're like in the top 5% of wealth on the planet. So you, if you own a car, this verse is for you. If you don't own a car, I will pray for you. (laughs) Command those that are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. Let them be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And there's, there's some things here. There, the first is a warning. Don't put your trust in what you own. Don't put your trust in what you own. And you just don't, you don't have to go back very far in history to realize that we are in a very prosperous society compared to the rest of mankind forever. Like for, compared to King David did not have a flush toilet. We, we live very, very well, but the, the, the temptation is to trust in that, is to, to put our hope in that. And the, what Paul is saying is, is teach, teach your church, put your trust in God. And then, and then he gives some steps. How do we keep ourselves from, from, from kind of getting locked into this world and he said he says this he says do good be rich in good works be re- be ready to give willing to share and there's something that happens as we as we as we do good works not just be good but do good and so that's you know when it when it comes to church we're just not we're not just trying to teach you to be good but we're actually wanting you to we're wanting you us we to do good and, we, and the simple reality is doing good without finances, you, you actually end up limited in the good you can do. Ready to give and willing to share. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we think, well, you know, the wealthier I get, the more I'll give. But th- the truth is the opposite is true. It's, it, it, it tends to work the other way. The, the wealthier people get, the less likely there, or, or maybe it's a better, better way to put it, is the percentage actually drops in generosity. And God does pay attention to percentages. Mark chapter 12, Jesus was sitting across from the offering box. Here is a politically incorrect pastor. Just like, yeah, I'm going to put a box right here and judge you. 
I could never do it. Sitting across from the offering box, he was observing how the the crowd tossed money in for the collection. And many of the rich were making large contributions. One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. And Jesus called his disciples over and said, The truth is, is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they would never miss. But she gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. And what he was saying, he was basically saying he saw the proportion of what she did. He saw the percentage. And when it, comes to, when it comes to our life, when it comes to our income, when it comes to our giving, percentage is everything. The question is never how much are you making. The question is, is what percentage are you living on? Because it, it, if you've noticed like me, it doesn't really matter what you're making that, that determines whether or not you have a stress-filled life. It's what percentage are you spending and if you're, if you're making a certain amount, but spending 105% of that amount, that's a recipe for stress in your home. I won't ask you to put up your hand if you've experienced that stress. And the difference between the percentage of what you live on and the percentage of what you make, that, that difference is called margin. And if you have margin, you will feel secure. And if you don't have margin, you will feel insecure. And it, the, the amount you make doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And if you look back over your life, I, I, looking back over our life, with, there were times, I don't know how we lived when we started the church. I honestly do not know how we did it. I do not, like... The amount that we made, we shouldn't have been able to have bought a house. We shouldn't have been, we shouldn't have been able to do anything. But we just got control of the money we had through a few fights and rather heated disagreements at times. Don't act like you haven't had them in your home. Communication, sex, and money. That'd be a great series, wouldn't it? Yeah. We'll just call it the discomfort series. <laughs> but the only way, the only way we can stop our hope from migrating to God to our possessions or to our money is to really decide in advance that we are going to honor God with our finances like he asks us to. And basically with this, if you don't pre-decide that you're going to give, you will not give. You will not give. If you're waiting to feel, that's, I think there's a reason that, that it, you, know, you know, when it talks about giving, it's like the first fruits. It's like the before you spend any money paying the bills, you bring, like in, in biblical times, the first thing you did was you brought your tithe to the house of God. And I think there's a reason, because if you try and pay all your bills and then tithe after, you'll never do it, because there won't be anything left after, after your bills, and maybe, you know, a couple meals out and a mini vacation. It, it's like there's always something that will eat that up. 
If we don't, if we don't decide in advance, we won't do it. And if we don't make these, if we don't pre-decide, our impulses will decide for us. I recommend giving first and giving intentionally. Finance is a seed sown. It's an intentional investment. And, it, and don't wait for conditions to be perfect to give. Farmers, Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, The farmer who waits for perfect weather will never plant. If they watch every cloud, they will never harvest. I, I would equate this to pouring concrete in the summer. The, the contractor who watches the sky will never pour the pad. Because it, Alberta, it always rains every day. Drives you crazy. I've never, there's never been a time in my life I've been so anxious as when I pour concrete in the summertime. And then just hope it doesn't rain in the middle of the pour. It's like giving. It's, it's like there's never a perfect time to give. Intentionality produces effectiveness. And can you imagine what church would look like if we all just kind of, you know what, we're just going to show up at, you know, I don't know, 1030-ish. And you all just come and we'll figure out what each everybody's going to do. And we'll, you know, we'll take volunteers. Some, some of you guys can take some kids over into that room over there. And then some of you can take, like, the, the, the babies over into this room. And then, the, and then, and then we'll take the th- three- to five-year-olds, and we'll stick them over in this other room. And we'll just figure out who's going to be in charge of them. And then with the rest of us, we're going to come in this room. We're going to f- figure out who could maybe play an instrument or something. Lead us in a song to God. Be all the glory. Okay, Mike doesn't get to lead next time. Like, what would church look like if it wasn't intentional? What would it look like? You know, at set, at, around this church, at about 7 a.m., what time does, what time does uh, the sound guys, you guys are the first ones in the building, aren't you? Oh, who's first now? Media is the first in the building. Right. What time does media arrive? 7.15. Media is in the building. The media has arrived. (laughs) The lights start flicking on. Make sure the heat's on. And people are gathering in here from 7.15 on, they're practicing. And you sit here and think, you know, as, as the band is leading us in worship, I'm, th- I'm thankful that they've prepared. <laughs> I'm thankful that they take their service seriously. Because as I sit there, I think, dang, you guys sound really good. Like, like you make this enjoyable. And the Bible does say, bring the sacrifice of praise, but I'd rather it's not sacrificed on the altar of my ears. (laughs) And it's enjoyable. 
And you know, you, you send your, your teens to CLY on Wednesday night. You imagine what that would look like if, if the leaders just thought, ah, we're just going to figure out what to do every night. They're intentional. They plan. They're planning experiences for your kids. Next weekend, is it? HCY, is that next weekend? Two weekends. I don't have teens anymore, so I don't know these things. But you know what? They're not just like, ah, we'll take them down there, drop them off, pick them up at the end of the weekend, and bring them back and see how it went. They're planning an experience that's great for them. As they're planning, they're just like, we're not using that hotel we used last year. That was terrible. Which is a conversation I've heard around my house. But they're, it's in, they're, they're intentionally trying to create an experience for your teenager, if you have a teenager, if you don't have a teenager, then they're probably not planning anything for you, for you at this moment. But they're, they have pre-decided they're preparing, they're making an intentional investment so that it's an experience that is transforming. And the simple fact is, is the large majority of people who grow up to be people of faith experienced God as a teenager. They experienced him, and, it, and there's something that happens when you experience God as a teenager. It puts an anchor into your heart that after you've lived stupid in your 20s, that anchor begins to tug you back into the house of God. And you realize, oh, maybe my parents were right. <laughs> you know, Malachi chapter 3, it says, this is, the, this is the portion of Scripture that talks about the tithe. And it says this, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. By the way, that blessing isn't like just financial blessing. That's like God's whole blessing over our lives. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Tithing has two purposes. The first purpose that's listed here is the health of God's house. Because God's house is actually supposed to be a beacon in the community. But a beacon has a really hard time if it doesn't have any money. And I'm not saying that to be crass about the subject. It's just like, it costs money to do things. Like, try and plan a vacation with no money. It's, well, try and reach a community without money. We're not going to be very effective at it. So, it's saying that the, this, the tithe has two purposes. One is the health of God's health. God's house, and that the health of the church depends on all of us. But it's also an invitation to, to, to live a life of partnership and faith with God. And it's an invitation to partner with Him to show that we, that he, we trust that He watches out for our interests and for, the, for those other areas of our life that are actually out of our control. Re- 
Rabbi Akiba, I don't know who that is, but he said this. He said, tithes are a fence around riches. They safeguard finances. They protect them from moths that eat, rust that destroys, and robbers that steal. Insects and disease that, in, insects and disease that destroy. It protects us from ineffectiveness. It, giving is a step of faith. In the, the, really, when it comes down to it, tithing is a step of faith. And it's like all aspects of our life with God, when it comes down to it, it's all a step of faith. It's all, it's all a, a partnership of faith. And giving is a step of faith, and we can, it's very difficult to, to act in faith if we live from a place of fear. And... Uh, I have noticed there is a very strong narrative of, of fear that seems to be growing in the world around us. One of the things that I have noticed, it doesn't matter really, it doesn't really matter which news source you watch. It's all, it's all kind of trying to make you fearful. Am I the only one noticing this? Like, it seems like everything I watch, it's kind of fear and outrage, fear and outrage. And it's really easy to get blackpilled. It's like, have you heard the term black pill? Yeah, it's just a, it's, it's basically, you know, the matrix, the red pill, the green pill. Was it a blue pill? Red pill, the blue pill. It's time to watch the matrix again. The, you know, one opens your eyes to reality and one lets you live in deception. Well, being black pilled is basically the whole world is doomed. It's all going to die. Everything's getting worse, which is not true. It might get worse if we let some of the people in control keep doing things. But the world overall is not getting worse. You know, 100 years ago, 40% of the world lived in extreme poverty. Just 100 years ago, and on the scale of humanity, that's a short period of time. That's like two and a half generations. It's not long. In, in basically, from the time that my grandfather was born, about 40% of the world live in extreme poverty. Now it's less than 10%. Like, in just a, just a short period, we have just about eliminated poverty from planet Earth. You say back in the 1920s, it was a, the number of people that died from cold exposure in North America was about 430,000 people a year. Now that number is less than 2,000. Like, we're, we're, things have improved. But if we listen to the narrative of fear, we're going to believe it's all getting worse. Hold on to what you got and hope for the best. You know, form your commune, grow your food. Might not be a bad idea, actually. Because <laughs> the food is healthier that way. But all I'm saying is that we have to watch are, is, is the primary voice influencing our heart the voice of faith, or is it the voice of the world around us? And it's very, hard to, it's very hard to respond in faith if all that we're getting fed with is sources based in fear. It's very hard to give if all we can see is what could go wrong, or what, if, I, if, if my security is in what I have. All right, so here's the question I want to ask. Do you believe that what's happening at City Life is valuable and 
and should continue. And somebody even clapped there. Yay. <laughs> Do I believe what's happening at City Life is valuable and, can, and should continue? And if the answer is no, I highly recommend finding a church that you would answer yes to. Because the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope. Church, there is no alternate plan for the redemption of our planet aside of the church. The church is actually the saving mechanism that Jesus works through. It's, in our North American individualistic society, we tend to think of, we tend to think of salvation as personal, but in, in the context of the Bible, it's actually not. It's community. God doesn't just save, he does save individuals, but he actually saves us as a community together. The church is the place where relationships get worked out. There's no place you see such a diverse group of people. Many of us would never cross paths on a regular basis except for the church. And the last few years have been challenging. But sometimes challenging situations, they actually grow you up. They mature you. Sometimes what challenging situations do is they just take your ideology and bash it into the ground with a hammer and say, now you get real life and God shows up in real life. If you call City Life your home, then I want to encourage you to have a plan to financially support your home and make it strong. And there's some steps we can do that do that. The first step is whatever you're, whatever stage you're at, I, can, I can't overemphasize this so much, this too much, is get on a budget yourself. Get your life on a budget. And, and if you have never been on a budget, if you just kind of see what's in the account at the end of the month, I'm just going to tell you, that's a terrible way to live. A budget will give you control of your life. Make a plan. The earlier in life you get control, this is teenagers, you can think he's talking about budgets, it's, it's not me. The teen, that now is the time. It'll be so much easier for you later. The second step is make a giving plan and start today. Church is like a retirement plan. You decide and you start. If you wait for conditions to be perfect, you'll never do it. And I want to encourage you, practice percentage giving. One, because it's easy to figure out. But it's also, it, 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 crea it creates intentionality. It, it gets your life on a track to say, I am going to invest in the things that I consider important. The things that I want to see grow, I'm going to make sure I am investing in those things. Not just the time I feel a need, but the time... But all the time, because even though I don't feel it every time or every week, it's just like, I know that this is important, so I support it. Okay, I'm out of time, so dun, 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 pre-decide that you're going to do it and then start adjusting your life to be able to do it. 
Let me just say this. I'll finish with this statement. Let me just say this to those of you who have given generously year after year. You've served in the church week after week, year after year. I want to say thank you because your legacies are created through intentionality and consistency. And I want to invite... I. There's, there, to me, there's nothing that would be more potent in our community than an entire church that believes what we're doing is important and we're going to do everything we can to bring the hope, the hope of the gospel to the world around us. Generosity is powerful and extreme generosity is extremely powerful. Let's stand up. want us to, if we can just close our eyes. I just want to pray. I want to pray for us. One, I want to pray for, for those of us that when I, when I, even when I mentioned about getting black pilled or just the negativity and the fear in the world around us, that you would recognize, you know what? Some of that fear has gotten a hold of my thinking. It's found a place in my heart and I want I, I don't want to be living my life based on that fear. And if that's you, you can you can respond how you you feel fit. But if you if you're bold enough, you can just put your hand up wherever you're at. And I'm just gonna pray for all of us that Father, I pray that we would not allow the narrative and the that storyline of fear in the world around us to get to get a hold of our hearts and cause us to become skeptical. Because cause us to become untrusting of our neighbor. You've called us to love our neighbor. And Father, I pray that you would, you would just work in our hearts so that, so that your heart is living in our heart. That we, we begin to see the world through eyes of faith. That the world, is, it's the world around us, this is the world that you died for. This is the world that you are redeeming. Father, I'd pray for all of us that we would just embrace the faith that comes from embracing your word, embracing your truth, and we would actively resist the storyline of the world around us. You'd give us wisdom to recognize where that storyline has got a hold of our heart in ways that are not healthy. And we would begin to replace that with, with the hope of your promise, the hope of your word. And that our hope isn't in our circumstances or, or in the situations we see from day to day, but our hope is in you. Our hope is in Christ, and we just choose to put that hope in you. And I'm just going to lead us in a prayer saying, saying yes to that hope, that hope that's in Jesus. And if you're here, maybe you've never prayed that prayer, or you're watching online and you've never prayed that prayer, you can just join us together as we pray. Let's just pray, Jesus, I say yes to the hope that's in you. I want my life to be built on your truth. I I receive your truth. I want to follow you and your ways for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.